Welcome to MM Plays, our podcast where we design, play, and discuss a game and campaign. Along the way, we will alternate episodes between actual play adventures and the analysis and discussion of games and design theories that relate to the campaign we're playing. For this campaign, we'll be using the mechanics of Cortex Prime, designed by Cam Banks. We randomly selected a theme and ended up with swashbuckling high school urban fantasy. So, join MM Plays as we explore and enjoy a new campaign. And now, for the introduction of our players. My name's Chris, I'm one of the players. My name is Jerry, I'm one of the players. I'm Old Man Logan, I'm one of the players. Phil Vecchione, Brockport State University, GM. Yeah! <laughs> yeah! <laughs> All right, so what are we doing today, facilitator friend? Uh, yeah, today, uh, in our second step towards our Cortex Prime campaign, uh, we are now going to select the mods that will make up our game. Yay! Cool. Mm-hmm. All right, so mentioned last week, the Cortex Prime rule set at its core is actually a pretty small set of rules that has a fairly quick outcome resolution, and... It's funny you say last week, but really, in podcast time, it was two weeks ago. Sure. Whatever. <laughs> you guys deal with that. Why you got to peel back the curtain like that, Chris? <laughs> yeah, you guys, you, you guys deal with that. No, he's destroying it because he's like, somebody's going to, he's going to say last week, and then somebody's going to listen to last week's episode, it's not going to be the thing. As we mentioned two weeks ago, the Cortex Prime rule set at its core is a small set of rules that has a fairly quick outcome resolution that probably doesn't allow for what you're normally expecting from role-playing games. It's functional, but you probably, when you see it, will be like, that's it? That's it. I need a little more. You might want a little bit more. So what do you do? Well, what you do is, in order to make Cortex Prime into the game that you want to play, and then for us, the game that we want to play, we're going to use the modular parts called mods to extend the rules of the game. The Cortex Prime book has mods listed in each chapter of the book alongside their associated rules. So they usually tell you a part of the rules and then they list the mods that go with it. And they have a little symbol that tells you what's a mod. So like on the header in the book, it'll have this little symbol to let you know. It's like a circle plus sign thingy. Yeah, it just lets you know that this is a mod, not a core rule. Okay, and then they also um, later, because they didn't do it with the initial book, but as part of their ongoing um, fulfillment of their Kickstarter, they actually have another document, a PDF called the Cortex Codex that contains mods assembled from the core book and from other games. And it actually tells you in the codex where it originally came from. So it'll tell you like this came from Marvel Heroic. You know, instead of me building a magic system from from cobbling together and and altering mods, I probably could have went there. Nope, I went and looked. Never mind. Nope, we were good. (laughs) There wasn't anything there that would have done what you wanted. Okay. So, and the cool part is by building our own mods, we are extending the codex. Yay. That's how you find mods. And there's a special set of mods. I don't even know if they're exactly mods. They're probably more core rule, but I want to bring them up and they're called prime sets because they'll come into play as we talk tonight. So prime sets are a trait set. That is a category of traits grouped together that help define characters. And they're an essential source of dice for the dice pools for tests and contests. And we'll unpack that statement more when we get into the actual play. But just understand that, as we talked about earlier, Cortex is about building a dice pool. Your prime sets are how you get your initial set of dice for that dice pool. Makes sense. All Cortex Prime games start with the Distinction Prime set, which, if you've played Fate... These come out like aspects. Yeah, with dice. With dice. They're Mm -hmm. like aspects with dice. But after that, we need to select two more sets from the ones that are listed in the book. And these include things like attributes, skills, roles, powers, values, relationships. Whatever you want them to be, essentially. Yeah, and this has a 
profound effect on the game you're running. I actually think the prime sets define your game more than most of the other mods you will pick out. Yeah. I, uh, I, I agree to a, to a pretty extensive extent. Don't get me wrong. It's not the be all end all, but what prime sets you choose, if you are creative with them, will talk about how you also play the game. Anyway, when you select a set type, like for instance, let's say you pick skills, the core book has a list of default skills. You are not bound to use those. Like in our aux game, we used skills, but we then changed all of the skills yep. to our own list of skills. We don't have any combat skills. Correct. Yep. But you could just use their default list if you were mm -hmm. like if you were fine with it. So sometimes you not only pick a prime set, but you pick the prime set, then you go customize it. And you'll see that tonight as we talk about our prime sets. Finally, the last piece of this when it comes to mods, you may desire to create your own mod for the game. It happened. Uh, it absolutely happened. It, it's actually happened in two out of three of my Cortex games, because in Aux, we have the um, the super scientist, the super thing? scientist mod, which is how you solve super science problems that we built. And in this game, we'll talk about it when we get to magic in a we second. A, we got a few. Yeah, we actually have a few. And we built them and it's perfectly fine to build <clears throat> new mods. In fact, it's kind of one of the cool things about the game. With all of that intro aside, tonight... We'll be selecting our mods for our game. Bob, what is the name of our game? Children of the Shroud. Ooh. Love it, right? We were all kicking around names, and then as usual, Bob, the namer, popped in and was mm -hmm. like, how about Children of the Shroud? And we were like, yes, that's the name of the game. So we're going to be picking our mods for the game, and I wanted to go back to two weeks ago. We highlighted a few things that we absolutely wanted to have in the game and talk about how those are going to be represented in the game. Thank you through the mechanics of the game. I got you covered. So I'll just name the, the high level ones. And then I'm actually going to kick it over to Chris who had spearheaded the designs on these. So we wanted to talk about magic. We wanted to talk about toughness. Wanted to talk about swashbuckling. And we wanted to talk about being high school students. So Chris, take us from the top. What are we doing for magic? Magic is a bit complicated because magic systems are hard yes <laughs> we are explicit you've been warned sorry oh that's there must be an easier way <laughs> nope there so isn't <laughs> my my intent was to provide a flexible spell casting system when not utilizing your martial weapon because martial weapons are a thing in this game and then also having a martial weapon spell casting system essentially and that led me to coming up with a thing called the arcane pool which is a modification on the idea of the hero pool with a custom version of the ability mod now those are all things inside of cortex bob would you explain the hero pool you know it better than i do yeah, the hero pool is a pool of dice that you use if you want to have like heroic action in your game. Mm -hmm. The primary benefit of heroic success when you make your roll, if you get a heroic success that's beating the target by five or more, you get hero dice from that. And you can take those hero dice and you can bank them, all right? And when you bank them, you can then pick them out later and use them on other rolls. It costs a plot point, though, according to that mod, doesn't it? Uh, yes. Cool. So the idea was... Banking and being able to spend dice later. So that's where I started. The ability mod lets you take a basically set of superpowers, like super strength or something like that, and then have a couple of applications of it. So there are six of them. Um, you'll hear it later in play. I don't want to get into it all, but attack and defense are two of them. Yeah, And you'll be able to read it. Because you'll be able to read it. We'll be putting up there. our design yeah. doc. In the arcane pool, it's supposed to be a fluctuating thing. It's supposed to signify your mana. So like you start with a die. Whenever you get into an engagement, you can use that for magic. And then every turn you can step it up or add another die to your arcane pool because mana increases and then you spend it. So the builder spender type stuff. Mm -hmm. 
That's the arcane pool. Now that ties into the other two magic systems, which are martial magic and then ritual, ritual magic. magic. Martial magic is you fight. As you fight, you generate mana. And I mentioned it already, you get these effects and they're attack, defense, sensory movement, control, and enhancement. You always get attack and defense and then you pick one that goes along with the talent that we decided. This was part of the collaboration thing that indicates what kind of magical talent that you have, whether it's fire or water or air or earth or lightning. That about right, Phil? Mm -hmm. And then conceptual magic can fit inside of that too. So like if it's time or life or whatever your concept is that you want to pick. Now... That creates constraints. That's why I did that. I'm creating a constraint. This is so such design nerd shit right here. I had to create constraints around a magic system because magic, if you just let it do whatever, can be too much. So unlike a game like Dungeons and Dragons that has spell slots and is very scientific in nature, like you can't modify magic much at all. In this game, you have a lot more flexibility for what you can do. So there are narrative constraints on on the top of that. Yep. That's why this mod exists. Mm Mm-hmm. Ritual magic. Ritual magic is pretty much you can do whatever you want, and it's based a lot on the dungeon world idea of ritual magic with some cortex stuff slid in there. Yeah, and the conceit for that was ritual magic you just can't do in combat. Correct. Like, it takes a scene kind of thing. So the idea is, like, if you want to hurl some fire at an opponent in a fight, that's martial magic. Yep. But if you want to, like, use a spell to divine a clue, you can't just whip that out. You have to, like, do a little thing, but also... And I think this was a nice balancing act. One, we didn't want to create spells. Correct. Or bucket, like power buckets or anything like that. So we needed a system that was open enough to say, I want to do X, but had enough around it where the GM could say, yes, you can do X, but I'm going to place the following conditions on you doing it. Yeah. So there's a lot of like the GM choose one or more of the following costs from a list and then we can create one or more of the following effects, which are there's a, it's a large list of effects that fit inside of like Cortex and a little bit outside of Cortex. Yeah. And again, like you said, highly inspired by Dungeon World. And I think when we get into the actual play, you will for sure hear one of these. Yeah. And it's going to sound a little powered by the apocalypse ish, which is, I think, fine because I think it is the easiest way in broad strokes to be able to create a magic system without having to create an entire magic system powered by the apocalypse is a design philosophy not a design structure necessarily are we going to discuss the details of the magic system not right now okay yeah it'll be i think far more interesting when we're doing it in play when we and also when we talk about magic systems we'll talk about this one and broad stroke is my nickname in college before i got a girlfriend (laughs) uh all right there you go that's that's the magic for this game how about toughness what did we what did we decide on toughness Use two stress pools. One is regular physical stress, and the other one is an arcane shielding stress pool that starts at D8. Yep. And not to get too detailed into stress pools, but if you've played Fate, consider it like a stress track. Yes. Yep. There you mm-hmm. go. Yeah. You fill it up, you get taken out. Yep. Yep. There you and, go. And we'll explain how it gets filled up and all that when, when we start banging around some characters. Ooh, what's next, Phil? What's next? Uh, this one actually off mics, and maybe this is a good time to mention this. So before we recorded tonight, we have been having this discussion partially on Slack and then in person, we've been working on this collaborating before we got onto the mics. And part of the reason for that is it's not very exciting to listen to the collaboration and the going around and around and around on fixing some of these and hammering out points. It's really not. So we spared you from it and also spared Chris from having to edit it Mm -hmm. by doing that work off to the side. But this is one that we actually did punch up a little once we got here in person. And that is, what are we going to do that makes this game have some sort of swashbuckling 
feel to it. Jerry, Bob, you guys can talk about this because, you know, you guys had a lot of the ideas that made it happen. So what we need is we're going to have sword fights. Yes. You know, uh, weapon fights, mm-hmm. right? We've got martial weapons, then we're going to use magic with them. So we figured there's going to be dueling. And if you're going to have dueling, that's going to be uh, a certain level of NPC. So if you got a, a your standard mook, your low-level henchman, whatever, the minor bad guy, you don't want to have <laughs> duels with them. No dueling. Just mow smokes. through them. It's got to be somebody that's a little higher in rank. This can be something that can be offered by the GM. Like, you know, I think this guy wants to duel you. What do you think? And the PC can say, yeah, yeah, yeah. Or the player can just be like, yeah, I'm going to duel this guy. This is this is where it's, this is, it's going down now. We're dueling. You're going to have your duel. You're going to do an exchange. When you do these kind of things in Cortex, it's called a contest. Yep. So you're going to have whoever's initiating it is going to roll first, and then the opponent is going to roll and try and beat the number that the uh, that the the person started with. Yep. And that's how it's going to go. And they have some choices within that, like whether yes. they want to stop or they want to withdraw or they want to try. Exactly. Yep. So with a duel in our system, uh, the winner of the exchange is going to get their effect die from that roll. That's going to be added into their mana pool, into yeah. their arcane pool. Mm-hmm. That's their that's their gift for winning the exchange in the duel. Uh, after each exchange, you can decide if you want to surrender and get the hell out of there because maybe, you know, this opponent's a little tougher than you thought. Mm-hmm. And you can cast martial magic during these exchanges. Mm-hmm. And we, we even had a mechanic in there that uh, somebody can spend a pop point to interfere in the duel. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's, that's actually part of the contest rules. Yep. Yeah. It, it makes it possible to have some dramatic situations during the duel so it's not just two guys whacking at each other with swords. So that's really the high point of the uh, swashbuckling that we've uh, come up with. And what we didn't mention is that while the winner of the duel gets to add the effect die into their arcane pool, the loser takes stress. Yes. Yeah. Yeah, we're dealing stress to the opponent. There's some mechanical effects and some dramatic effects to the duel itself. Yeah, and what I like about this in terms of what it tells me as a GM is that I need to create spaces for duels, which means I need NPCs that are worth dueling. Yes. Yeah. And one of the clarifications I wanted to make was while PCs can declare a duel, like by looking at an NPC and saying, I want to duel them, we decided, and and this is, again, my GMing preference, I did not want to be able to declare that. I can offer it, yeah, it's- <laughs> but I didn't want to force players into a course of action. Like, I did not want to say, like, Chris, you are dueling this guy. That was the reasoning behind we yeah. ma- why we made that yeah. choice. Yeah. So I, my on my end, you will hear NPCs, like, I will put an NPC out and be like, Chris, if you want to duel this guy, he's yours to duel. But Chris can turn to me and say, that guy right there. We can even push that a little bit more mechanically if we wanted to. You'd be like, here, you want to... I want you to duel this guy. Here's a plot point. I mean, I'm willing to pay a plot point yep. for, I'm willing to pay a plot point to get my way. Yeah. yeah. Like I'm not above that. I mean, the, if we want to add that into the rule, like, I, but again, never required to correct, take correct, it. Yep, correct. Um, and that's just because I don't think from a GM point of view, I, I would be locking you into a particular mechanic by fiat. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And by giving somebody a plot point to kind of pay them to take a duel that they might not normally take, that also plays into both the mechanics of the game but also the drama of the system mm-hmm. that you're yeah. furthering the plot of the game because now somebody took this. Now they are going to make that bad decision to duel something, which is very high school. <laughs> Let's make bad decisions. I yeah. mean, it's that moment in the Disney three Musketeers, right? Where Rochefort, you know, in the big fight in the palace, right? He yeah. sees D'Artagnan and then he purposely whips off his cloak signifying like it's on. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. This is going to happen. And speaking of high school, Jerry, why don't you tell us about the high school part? 
So we're going to have some mechanics for high school, and one of them is the relationships. We're going to have relationship mechanics um, that will determine what the characters do and how they interfere with each other and interact with other NPCs. Um, they're going to get three dice, a D8, a D10, and a D12 that they can apply to three relationships. And when that relationship comes into play, they can use that die as part of their die pool. The GM can sometimes use that die as part of their die pool if it becomes something that also affects the player. And sometimes they'll both have those dice in their die pool. If high school complicated. Man. High school yes. complicated. So, you know, if you're just going to go into a fight and, you know, your best friend is in danger and you have a relationship with D10 with them, well, then you'll get that D10 added on. If the NPC is actively threatening your friend and using them to taunt you, then maybe you'll both get the D10, both you and the GM. While it is not required, I'm going to highly encourage you to not each make three separate NPCs. If some of you share the same NPC with differing relationships, yeah, yeah. That'll be fun. that would also be fun. Like if one of you needs a rival and one of you needs a best friend, um, yeah. don't feel like don't feel like those need to be two separate characters. Like we can make it a little messy here with some competing dice, like competing relationships. So I know these aren't mods to the mm -hmm. high school thing that it makes the high school thing pop. But in reality, the roles and the affiliations also make the high school thing. Pop. Oh, yeah. We're going to get to those yeah, in yeah. just a second. Right. So we're actually let's which, which is going to lead us into our prime sets. Yeah. yeah. Tell us about prime sets, Phil. Yeah. So for prime sets, we decided, as we said before, all Cortex prime games start with distinction. So we're not messing with that. Distinctions are fine. We'll be keeping those. Then the two additional prime sets that we chose is roles and affiliations. Now, roles I'll give you the fantasy version. If we were playing roles in a fantasy game, we might be like, how much warrior are you? How much mage are you? How much rogue are you? Yeah. How much yep. bard are you? Whatever. And you would have dice for those. Mm -hmm. And so a character could be like, well, I'm a really good fighter. I'm a D10 fighter. I'm a D4 rogue. There's a game called warrior mage rogue that is very bad. similar, right? right? Yeah. Now for ours, we went the route of leaning into the high school stuff. Yep. And after doing some Google searches on, um, Google searches, as well as my own, like growing up in the 80s, picking out some names for our roles based on cliques in high schools. So our roles are going to be jock. That's physical. Yep. Geek. For mental. Uh, popular. For connections. Emo. For the weird, which is all the other supernaturally off the beaten path type stuff. Yeah, exactly. And performer. Which is for your socializing with people. Yeah socializing with people mm -hmm. now we did actually as part of our like uh, touching on last week's episode on collaboration we actually had a little talk about like chris asked me what's the difference between popular and performer you know i was like well you want to get into a party popular gets in because they know the host of the party performer gets in because they're charming and make their way past the front door like the person at the front door like they charm the person at the front door and walk in. It was kind of an interesting discussion. So like, well, how far does popular go? Right. And then it yeah, feels yeah. like Phil explained it very well. Like it just more unusual things to get your hands on would mean that you have higher difficulties to deal with. And my thought on that was based off of in blades in the dark. When you do a flashback, the difficulty of the flashback is proportional to how realistic it would be that you actually thought of that in True. the first place. So if you're like, uh, yeah, I know that Elder God, I'm like, cool, that's a D12 difficulty. Like, <laughs> you're going to really have to roll to know that Elder God. But if you're like, oh, I can get into this party because I'm in algebra class with that guy. Yeah, yeah okay, cool, D6. 
That's easy. Sure, you know the Queen of Horfrost. I know, yeah, right? Exactly. <sighs> I right? do not. I mean, okay. yeah, I probably do, actually. We'll Anyways, get to that. We'll get to that. So, that, the, so that's rolls. The, yeah. the cool thing about the rolls, though, is that they serve double duty. Yes. yes. Like, each one of them is like a sphere of influence in high school, too. Yes. Aside from being a like a, a thing that you can utilize to do stuff. Mm-hmm. Yes. So they can be used socially and they can be used for other things. Yeah. Like for instance, if you need to like get along with the, with the jocks, you would use jock. Mm-hmm. Um, if you need to get along with the, like the theater kids, you use performer. Right. Yeah. But if you also need to lift something heavy, you're going to roll jock. Correct. And if I need to like talk my way into a party, I will use social. Exactly. Now you could also, if you need to lift something heavy, Use your geek to figure out how to get a lever and a fulcrum. As long as you fictionally position yourself to do so. That's exactly right. what I mean. Or yes. you use performer to convince somebody else to lift it for you. <laughs> yes, exactly. Yeah, right. We'll use, we'll use popular. Or popular to get your I friends to help. I know a guy. Yeah. Yep. Right. I know the like. I know the guys in the weight room. Uh-huh. They could move this car for me. Yeah. Yeah. And then the emo kid just looked at it and it moved. So what just no, emo's not like that. But <laughs> The emo kid happens to know all the things that live in the school at night. The so emo, by tomorrow, it's moved. The emo kid knows the weird guy with the tow truck. Yeah. That goes around at night picking up scrap metal and stuff. Oh, there you go. So right. good, good call, right? Yeah. So these roles, they're not stats. They're essentially, uh, what, what's the word? They're like use? narrative weight. Yeah, they're yeah. narrative weight, but they're also the, um, what do you call them? They're approaches. Yeah, they're approaches. Yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. All right, so the next one we did was affiliations, which in the Cortex book... This was a big discussion, actually. This was our big discussion, and we had to just smooth a few things out. This actually one affiliation is based off of Marvel Heroic, where if in the Marvel Heroic game, you had... um, It was group, duo, and solo. Yes, which which for the comic book theme is brilliant, right? Like, how well are you as a solo character when you are in a team-up or when you are as part of a team? We needed something different, but when we like to team up. He means duo. Yeah, was it duo you, or team up? Duo. I, I, duo. It was duo. I think it was that. team duo solo. Yeah, team meaning a bunch of people. Duo meaning you Two. were paired up with someone like a Marvel team up yep. comic book and solo. You, you're you're right on the money. I just you know yeah, it was hundred percent accurate. So no. what are, what are the ones we used for this game? Yeah, so for affiliation, we also picked three. You actually can pick more, but we picked three. So we're doing school, which is Jerry. All of the. Normal mundane things of being a teen. Everything in school, dealing with your parents, getting a job, that sort of thing. Exactly. That's all going to be school. Uh, we're doing the veil. And veil is when doing things that support the legal magical society that we exist in. The group of mages and the rules and structures of the organized magical society. Mm-hmm. And mage. Mage is for dealing with all the rest of the magical world. So our example for this was, what's that weird aura? Yes. Right? Mm-hmm. That's mage. Do I understand the culture of how the earth elementals like exist together? Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And to be clear for everybody, the veil is a specific organization in the game world that we create. They're the magic Correct. police. Essentially. They, they're yep. essentially the magic police. They yep. are yep. Uh, humans and elementals that got together and said, we need to have rules for how we work together and stuff because we need to coexist peacefully. And in our history document, you can find out why. Yep. Um, all right. So, the cool thing, the, the thing I like about affiliations is it basically says that in this game, there are basically three worlds that your characters kind of traverse. And what it says by die type is that you're going to be like really good in one of these, pretty good in the other one and not so good in, in the last one. So like you might not have the best understanding of magic, but you are super good in the mundane world or you're passable. You're pretty good in the veil, like in the veil and stuff like that. 
so it has to do with context. Like, which world are you standing in when you are trying to solve a problem? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And then combine that with role. What, you know, either social or what type of action or, you know, what approach are you taking? Mm-hmm. And then your distinctions. And that took some viewing because we didn't quite understand the difference between Vale and Mage when we started. Yeah. And I mean, part of that was I didn't do a great job of, of, of it, defining that's it. That's why we collaborate. Yeah. yeah. We just had to. You, you don't have to apologize or blame yourself. Just to summarize, our three prime sets are going to be roles, mm-hmm. affiliations, and distinctions. Yes. With a major mod called Magic. Yep. <laughs> Let's talk about plot points and how we're u- utilizing them. Sure. Mm-hmm. That's probably the, the next most important thing to talk about, which is we were going to go with no bank. But we realized later that maybe that's not the best idea because... So explain what no bank is for people. So who don't no bank is like the, the game master can just use plot points to buy things whenever they want or spend things whenever they want. Right. In return, I give you the plot point. Correct. Yes. But it does give me some pretty broad abilities. And when we get into playing Cortex, you'll understand a little bit more why having an unlimited pool of plot points... Could be pretty hard on the players. Especially yeah. if you get some giant dice pools, which yeah. is, this game actually, like, tends towards larger <laughs> dice pools. Yeah, so. like, I could very well rack up, like, I could use those plot points to make things really painful. Yeah, I mean, if we were playing a game where, like, the, like, four was a huge dice pool, then a bank, no bank is not a big deal. Yeah. But there is the potential to have, like, six and seven die dice pools in this game. Yeah. Right, so the, the, without that mod, which we decided to strike from the, from the list, I will just have a I will have a small pool of points. It will basically be four because it'll be players plus one mm-hmm. that I will have per session that are mine. Like mine is the GM to spend. I can spend from another place when I want to buy hitches. And again, we'll talk about all this when we start mm-hmm. playing. But those come from a separate place where I just buy those. You get points for those. Yep. Now, I actually have no problem if we wanted to increase the starting plot point set that you have as um, a modification. As a compromise. What if I allow certain tiers of NPCs to, to have actually have, have their own? Yeah, that's also fine. Okay, I mean, yeah. now we're playing Savage Worlds, but that's cool. Yeah. But like, so for instance, we're I have... playing Savage Worlds. No, no. It's just, there's, a re- the there's, a reason, there's a reason why that works in Savage Worlds. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And, and so for instance, I could have four personal GM plot points. Mm-hmm. And then when my when my bad guy, the, you know, Grand Wizard, Arch Mage, whatever shows up, he brings... Three plot points. You mean with when Erlis shows up to take my soul? Yes, like Vice she principal shows up. Badass. Yes, yeah. Like then that that NPC arrives, and for that, um, very easily because I have these like nice little poker chips. I could use a different color of poker chip yeah. to basically be like, yep. these poker chips are the NPCs. These are mine. Oh, cool. I, I'm into it. Yeah. Can somebody just no. write that down so we don't lose that uh, under plot point plot mods? Plot points. Plot. No. I'll add it right without right without going too deep into the weeds, like like we said, you'll you'll hear a lot of this when we actually get to the playing point. But something I think that's relatively significant in this case with the larger dice pools that Chris was talking about, the larger the dice pool you've got, the more chance there is to get a hitch which is rolling a one, and that causes complications if the GM buys them. Mm-hmm. Um, because we're playing teenagers who are essentially in over their heads everywhere they go, Yes, I think that's beautiful because mm-hmm. the more chance for us to get complications, the more I think that plays into just the nature of teens running around doing stuff and being like, you know, what are we doing? <laughs> the game also does double duty because that'll give us the option to like buy more dice into our pools to increase them to do some pretty significant magical actions. Yes. And one of the things that I had said to you guys was, and we were just talking about this, but one of my intents, one of my intentions 
is when I buy some of your hitches, the the ones that you roll in your die pool, uh, sometimes I will like place them right into the middle of the scene. Like I will create complications in the middle of the scene, like, oh, this bridge is crumbling, whatever. And other times I might just call it surprise math quiz, uh, meaning that the next day there's going to be a role you have to make to pass your math quiz, right? And if you don't, there'll be consequences like that I will be able to assign onto you like not stress, but I might also now tag you with, you know, a trait that is like failing math, which, you know, now your parents are on your shit, whatever. Yep. And for those who haven't played Cortex, aren't familiar with the rules, one of the advantages of the Cortex dice pool that we have is that it's possible to roll a hitch, which is a one on, on one or more of your dice and still succeed at the roll. Yeah. Yes. If you're, oh, yeah. if you're rolling four or five dice and you have to take two dice as your uh, total and a third die as your effect die, you can still roll a one of the other die. So the GM can still buy that hitch and make things complicated, but you still succeed at the roll. Yeah. So it's not just a binary, oh, I just rolled a hitch, now everything is ruined. Hitches tend to just be interesting story-based complications. It is, it is success with a complication. Yep. Or it's X with a complication. Yeah, it's X with a complication. And so that makes, just so you understand that, that rolling more hitches doesn't mean that you're more likely to fail. It means there's going to be more likely to have Story-based complications in the game. Stuff. In yeah. fact, to be clear, hitches have no effect on pass or fail in, in a roll. Hitches are just complications that arise from the action being taken. That yeah. also provide to the currency of the game, which is plot points. Yes. Yeah. Which is a super smart design. Good job, Cam Banks. Yes. Yeah, Cam, well done. Uh, there is, a, I mean, this being the fourth Cortex Prime game I'm designed and run, like, I love this system. Yeah, it's great. It's a really <laughs> like, good game. Like, it's smart. It's smart. Times. Yeah, so let me let me run through, just for speed's sake, let me run through a couple more mods. For some of the core mods, we're going to use uh, action-based resolution when you're not dueling. Correct. So action-based resolution is pretty much what you expect in most role-playing games. Oh, you want to do a thing? Make a roll. Mm -hmm. Against a difficulty. Yeah, against difficulty that I'm going to roll. Yes. Yeah. There is actually, by the way, just um, so people know, there's actually a mod that you can tack onto action based for fixed difficulties. But I'm so glad that we had a conversation about one of these things, this collaboration thing of these mods, because I really wanted to get one on the mic. So good. I'm glad yep. we have one. Um, cool. All right. So then uh, starting plot points is another mod that we'll be using. Uh, this is going to mean that the players, whatever they end the game with in plot points, they get to bring to the next session. Yes. If they're out of plot points, they will start the session with one plot point. Yes. You can never start with less than one. But if, for instance, you um, took on a bunch of stuff and you're leaving the game with three or four plot points, you get to bring them to the next session. Yay. Tell I, me, I just like that one. Tell me about the crisis pool. Oh, I like crisis pools. I know you do. <laughs> crisis pool is a mod where uh, you can turn a thing, like not a creature, but like a thing into a mechanical construct that the players can defeat. A and situation. I, yeah. So for instance, a fire, this building is on fire. I can express that in the game as this is a 3d8 crisis pool, mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. meaning that the players take action with the intent of knocking those dice. And I don't want to talk about the mechanics of that, but they would take actions to reduce the number of dice in that pool to zero. Mm -hmm. And when they do, they have resolved the crisis pool. And then the crisis pool can also have distinctions and special effects. Yeah, and that's how you actually make it dangerous when it starts losing dice. In fact, the way that it works best is as that thing goes down, the things around it that, that make it worse get go up. Yeah. Then this way I can, on a hitch, I can just bump up one of the ongoing distinctions. Yeah. I can, yeah. but what, it, what what's really cool about it is what it does is it allows you to mechanize things that aren't 
monsters, creatures, NPCs. Like a fire can be a combat scene, for mm-hmm. lack of a better term. Like you will all take turns, like making, you know, checks and magic or whatever to attempt to alleviate to reduce yeah. this pool to nothing. Be a conflict. Is, is the yeah. Junior Prama Crisis pool? Can be. It can be. It depends. It right? depends. It like, will be in this case. <laughs> no, depends. Just think of the Junior Prama as being a series of social duels. Give me a time yeah. test. Time you test. have somebody. You got to get through this thing without, you know. But the, the crisis pool is essentially <laughs> the driving force in our Ox game. We are going around finding these crises and fixing them. Yeah, exactly. And and what I really like about it is what it gives me as a GM is the flexibility of creating a mechanical conflict scene that doesn't have to be just fighting. Not to get too far in the weeds, but if anybody was listening to the things that we just said, now you might not understand what they are, but we just explained when we made the joke about the prom, like three or four different ways to approach that from a game design point yeah. of view as, as a game master, like constructing the conflicts that could occur there, mm-hmm. which is one of the very good things about this game is how many options it gives you for how to approach that to get different tones and feels. Mm-hmm. Okay. That's yeah. all I had to say so, about that. Yeah. So crisis pool just gives me an extra tool in the box that not everything that I, when I want you guys to roll dice and, you know, quote attack has to be a creature. The next one that I wanted to talk about was we didn't talk about signature assets for our weapons. We were going to have weapons. This game is about having a, a magic weapon, essentially. Pause for a second. What in normal Cortex, what does a signature asset do in the game? Bob? A signature asset is an item that you get to use when you create your dice pool. It gives you a number of dice to add into your pool. That's correct. For a roll. It gives you one die. One die. <clears throat> Maybe it more. It can be more than one. Yeah, you can you can have a signature asset that has two dice if you want. Like, can you? That's, yes. a, that's a modification to the standard. Oh, yes. okay. Right, like. But typically you would have something like, like my, my Lucky Hyperspanner yeah. hyper D8. D8. Now, there's nothing saying that you couldn't have My Lucky Hyperspanner D8 plus D6. Sure, if yeah. you banked enough points. Correct. Two D6. Yeah, right? or, like, or in yeah. the Game Master allowed it as part of the game, yeah. right? Yeah. Now, the, the important piece to this is signature assets, those dice, you can use them on any role that you want that's that's narratively viable. Correct. Yep. And you can just keep using it over and over yes. because it's a thing. Now, there's also resources, which are dice that you can only use. They're uh, expendable resource. They're expendable resource. So if you have, if you have like, I have a lab in, in our Ox game that's 2D8. If I use one of the one or more of those dice, I can't use it again until some time passes. Some time passes. Scene refreshes. And scene refreshes or and that die is added to the total. Yes. Not part of the dice pool. Yes. And if you roll two of them, you still only put the highest one. Correct. It's very yeah. that, that's some in the weed stuff right yep. there, yeah. everybody. But now but you that's understand. that's the differentiation. So <laughs> signature assets, what we toyed with was can we have these these weapons that we're going to be using for our combats and and combat magic? Should we make them signature assets? And I said probably not because we already have a billion dice going into we our have dice. So deaths. many dice. <laughs> so what did we do instead? We decided to make them tied to any special effects that we have that yep. go with our magic. Yeah, special effects are just little rule exceptions that you can build if you are familiar with fate. Think stunts. Yep, yep. that's exactly what they are. Yeah. So all right. Now, that's not to say that somebody couldn't, through advancement, buy a signature asset. Yeah, yeah, yeah like, we, could, we could do that. If you wanted, through advancement, to be like, oh, it's not a sword, it's my father's sword Yeah, kind of thing, you could do that. But what we're not going to do is make that a part of character creation. Yes. Right. Yeah. Okay. Because in the fiction of our game, we basically build or spawn our weapons. Yes. 
Yeah, and we talked about it two weeks ago. We talked about uh, Hammer Space and mm-hmm. all of we'll have. I think we have a different name for that, but we definitely have a different name for it. Let me be clear. We're not going to call it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Why are we not going to call it Hammer Space? Because then we're just like, because I, I have a thing about anachronistic terminology. I in Ox, I love when you guys call it space, whatever. But I, you know, also on the inside, die a little every time we, you know. I also, I mean, once again, not to get bogged down in naming conventions, I also don't like Hammerspace as a a name for it. The concept was very easy. When I explained it, when I was talking to Senda about it, I was like, oh, Hammerspace, as the vice president of her anime club in college, she was like, oh, yes, no, I totally understand what you're talking about. Like, get the idea across, sure. Nice shortcut. Um, There are a couple different ways to make characters. We are going to actually take a pretty straightforward method called From Scratch. Oh, yeah. Where basically what we're going to do is we'll have a document that says, like, here's how to make your characters and we'll make characters. But there is another more elaborate way to make characters called Pathways, uh, which could be like its own whole session. Yeah. Like unto itself. Very easily. And it comes up with all this backstory stuff. We did it for Ox. We did it for Ox and it was great because I wound up with this document with this image with all of these connection points for me to use when we started the campaign. Yeah, it, it creates like a mind map of different yeah. things. But it also assumes that you've been on like like it, the pathway is basically your life's journey. Mm-hmm. But you guys are teenagers. And in the pathway one, even though you make your own pathways in the pathway one, that's like the second line of the of the pathway. Yeah, the default pathway. Yeah. We, would have, yeah. we would have two two steps. Yeah, I would be it. I would I would literally be like, OK, tell me about your preschool. <laughs> right. Like, tell me about like elementary. So school. we're just like, going to we're going to wing it. <laughs> we're just we're not doing that. We're going to do from scratch. I, I shot a guy in preschool just to watch him pee. <laughs> <laughs> Not that I want to get too far in this, but there'd be some interesting things that you could do with that if you're making, making legacy type characters where you can actually like be like pathways wise. How does my legacy affect me? That, so that's a thing you can do, yes. except that you'd have to do I some am, additional mods. I'm not doing I'm that for you. this game. I'm just saying yeah. in general for. Yeah. Yeah. No, and, and it's game. actually a really fun, um, like when we did it for Ox, it was, it was fun. Yeah, it yeah. was good. All right. What's the last thing? I missed the, I missed the growing characters. So growing characters. So like. I suggested milestones, and Phil was like, "That's fine." Although he was thinking of uh, flashbacks. Yeah, flash. I use flashbacks in one game, and it, so like, explain the difference between the two, please. Flashback. Sure. So in flashback, at the end of each game, you record like a little memory from the game, okay. and you can use it to gain a d6 in a scene. If you're like, "Oh, it was like the time I fought that elemental," right? And you just you know recall like a previous session, but you can also burn them. Like you can cross them out. And get points to upgrade your character. So like you can either have like you get you wind up with a mix like you keep some memories because you're like, oh, I could use this combat memory, you know, from time to time to pick up a, a you know, a D6 or I'm going to burn these sessions that weren't that, you know, either memorable or interesting. And I'm going to buy a resource, get a signature asset, whatever, whatever. Yeah, there's a whole list. Yeah, there's a list for how to do it milestones are experience points and the way that you get experience points is usually there's three levels there's one that you do all the time there's one that you do usually once a potentially a scene or um, a game and then there's one that is usually some sort of end goal event yeah usually like an arc thing yeah mm-hmm. and there are like usually one three and ten experience points and you bank these experience points to spend them on advancements and, and they're very thematic. Yes. Like you're encouraged as the GM to make them very thematic to the game you're playing. Plus the GM can then turn around and make one that's specific to a scenario. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, actually what I like is that you outline two of them, one for gaining experience points for high school stuff, mm-hmm. one for Vale stuff. Yeah. And then what I will wind up doing is when I write a story, 
I will write one for the story and just put it on the table. Yeah. For instance, I'll just the quick yeah. example, the yeah. shroud one. One experience point when you defeat an adversary. Three experience points when you unveil a part of a threat to the shroud. Mm -hmm. So that's like following clues and things like that. Yep. And then ten experience points when you protect the shroud when its discovery is imminent. Yep. yep. And if you haven't read our document yet on the world, the shroud is kind of like the masquerade. The veil, the group, cast this big ritual that basically put the shroud over the world. And, and the shroud prevents the mundane people from really seeing the weird magical shit. Unless there's no way to Unless avoid there's it. absolutely no right. way to avoid it. You forgot it. the part where it erased 300 years of history. Well, yeah, that too. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if that's good or not. Like, I haven't well, decided yet. I, I, I'll it's, pause. It's I'll, better than the destruction of the world. I'll pause yes. for a moment. So one of the things in the history is that there was for 300 years at the time of um, the Byzantine era, there was a elemental empire where elementals and humans coexisted. And then it all fell apart for reasons. And when it happened, uh, it was decided, well, yeah, we can't have humans perceiving all of this. So we need to hide it. That's when the shroud was cast. It was cast sometime in like 900 AD. And then they just reset time to 1000 AD. And we're like, cool. Just pretend like nothing happened on our way. So where that comes from, because Jerry asked me, he's like, you've picked some very specific names of people who are part of this group. And I was like, you're right, because I actually pulled it from a Wikipedia article. That's good. There is a unpopular, although it exists, theory in history called the Phantom Time Theory, where during the Byzantine Empire, several powerful people just reset the calendar by 300 years. They just decided like it, we'll call it a thousand AD because it sounds cool for like this time. And they just did. And there's some there's some arguments like if you read the Wikipedia, article, there's some arguments for why like that support it. There's a bunch of arguments that punch holes in it. And this is like part of my own GMing process. Like I absorb these stupid things like I saw a TikTok on this thing one day and just like banked it. And so as I was playing around with these ideas, I was like, we're playing modern fantasy. So I love the idea of things that appear in the modern world are really because of magical things. And I was like, oh, I wonder if I could just make that work. And I was like, oh, yeah. Like, no, actually, those 300 years happened. We just blanked them from everybody's minds with the shroud. Same way yeah. if you go back and read is how the Great Depression starts. Yep. The Great Depression is, sure, it's banking and stuff, but really it's the destruction of the prosperity mages when um, the veil is like, you guys are out of fucking control. Cut yep. it out. Uh, anyway, so that's that's growing characters. And then there's the last set of mods that I just want to get to. And and by the way, if you're wondering the order of how we get through these mods, we literally went through the book <laughs> chapter by chapter. The last ones are from the scene chapter. Uh, the first one is order mods. We needed to decide how initiative was going to be dealt in the game, yep. which for everything but duels, we're just going to do dramatic order. You know, we'll go around the table, yeah. whatever. No problem. For duels, because there is a mechanical advantage for who goes first, the people participating in the duel will actually roll off using uh, affiliation plus either jock or geek. Basically, they're higher die in jock or geek. And the winner gets to roll first because there is an advantage to rolling first in a duel. The last one is we're going to have scale in this game. And so the way I posed it to you guys was, are you on par with everything magical in this game universe? No. Yes. Right. Would that And so it could have been the answer could have been yes. And then we would have not used a scale mod. But by answering no, and I thought that was actually a cool answer. What it means is there will be a couple tiers. We're going to use what's called multi-level scale. There are going to be a couple of tiers of power in this game. 
if you fight a rival mage who is also goes to your high school, there is no scale involved. But if you are confronting an ancient, like, 2,000-year-old Thunderbird, that's going to be a D12 scale. It'll be a pretty big deal when it, yeah. when it arrives on scene. And what does the scale do? So scale is a die um, that gets added into totals. So it's like, like the way, kind of the way we talked about resources, that die goes into your total. So it means that when that Thunderbird goes, it's rolling big. And yeah. it, honestly, you should be terrified because if you know how I roll in this game, yeah. that D12 is going to haunt you guys. It doesn't get added into your total. It allows you to add another die to your total. That's what it says. I actually read it three times. Yeah. All right. I'll go back and read it. Make sure I'm familiar. The reason the reason that is is because if you have 4d6, you can roll those as part of your multi-level scale and you still just add one die. So the way not, if not I from, read it, if I read it correctly and I don't want to get into a whole thing, it, the scale starts with a die. You are allowed to trade your die down for a multiple. Like I can take a d12 scale and turn it to 2d10s, mm-hmm. but only one 10 goes into the pool. Yeah. Or I can turn it into like 4d6s. And roll and just put a d6 in. Check it out. Along with the scale die, that side also adds an extra die into the result. That's how scale actually is read. Oof. Well, we'll see how it yeah. plays. If it f's up things really bad, we can always no pop man. Them on they're up. supposed to be stronger. That's yeah. the point. Yeah. yeah, that's so. So yes, it's, it's that die plus another die. Oh wow. Maybe okay. we modify that to just. Well, that makes more sense about something that's like bigger. Yeah, and again, I'm not going to use it like you know, like one you'll know, like you're not going to accidentally like duel like you know some d12 thing like there'll be some narrative clues like this guy's kicking off a lot of power like mm-hmm. or he arrives with like a big flourish you know like not a flourish like he made one but like his arrival like disturbs the force of the universe like mm-hmm. kind of thing yeah the shroud like fluctuates like neo when he arrives like mm-hmm. yeah so now that we have all our mods selected, there are two things that we will produce and we will put them up on the Patreon. The first one is there'll be a document that lists all of our mods for the game. So it'll just go through and just say, like, here are the mods that you would use to play this game. The core Cortex Prime plus our mods. And actually now there's a third doc because we'll have our custom mods in a doc. Yes. And then we'll have the character creation, too. And then we'll have a character creation uh, checklist for how yep. to make characters. And these will all be available Where? on the Patreon. On our Patreon. All right. Well, that's the episode. Mm-hmm. And speaking of Patreon, let's do some Patreon shout outs, yeah, shall we? Yeah, let's right. do it. Let's do all it. All right. So, a very big thank yous to Alice Kira, Jim Fitzpatrick, Brantley Harris, Steve Radabaugh, Rory McLeod, Ninjabi, Richard Wyatt, Joseph Peralta, JT Evans, Brian Kurtz, my Brett, not my personal Brett, but somebody's Brett. Somebody's. Chris Steele. Jared Rasher, Eileen Barnes, Brandon Barnes, and Noah Bond. And thanks to everyone for listening to this. If you'd like more content like this, you can find it on our website at misdirectedmark.com. And if you want even more, then go to our Patreon page at patreon.com slash MMP, which has hundreds of bonus episodes available. Now, some of those shows that Phil mentioned include shows like Pandas Talking Games, The Gnomecast, Bonus Experience, and Thacko with Advantage. And if that still isn't enough content for you... <sighs> But wait, there's more. We suggest checking out our sibling podcasts, Tabletop Bellhop, The Knights of the Night, and Mastery Dungeons. After you have wrapped up all of your mod decisions and before you've documented them for safekeeping, uh, reach out to us. You can hit us up directly on the weird old archaic email system. Hit us up at mmp at misdirectedmark.com. Bonus points if you use your MSN account. If you use an MSN account and I see MSN, I will I will probably put your, your name in the game somewhere as a character, an NPC. Yeah. yeah. 
You can also check us out on Twitter. The show in the network is at Misdirected Mark. He's Robert M. Everson. Yo. He's GM Gerrymander. Woot. He is the Light 101. Yes, that's me. And I am DNA Phil. And you know that Patreon that we mentioned like 15 seconds ago? That with the bonus episodes. If you want to support us and other shows from Misdirected Mark Productions, go do that at patreon.com slash MMP. If you patronize us, you're going to get access to the app. Hey, that's, I know. You're doing a very good job, guys. You're doing a very good job. Working really hard. (laughs) Sorry, keep going. You'll get access to the After Show podcast, our show notes, the Bamboo Lounge podcast, our MM Plays game stuff like Phil's setting document for Children of the Shroud, Chris's game development notes on the lamplighter system that he's working on, and other special releases. Yeah. Well, this has been a Misdirected Mark production, which is the media arm of Encoded Designs, a mic, a drop. We out.